My name is Steve Sherman, and uh, I'm, I'm a Midwesterner. I was born in southern Michigan to Roger and Lorna Sherman, and uh, my, my dad went into the pastorate, and so I had the great privilege of being raised in a church. I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Every time missionaries came, they'd stay at our house, and I'd get to hear stories of the miracles and the beautiful things. I have had a rich privileged growing up hearing the word of God. I am so thankful. Wasn't always thankful back then. Seemed like I was always having to do my, my buddies from school were getting to do other things, but boy, am I thankful now. Um, I felt called to ministry, went off to Fort Wayne Bible College, became part of Taylor University later on, and got my bachelor's degree in uh, church music actually. Then I um, was looking for a job, and uh, as a youth pastor is what I wanted to do, happened to run into a guy from Oregon, from Deaver Connor, and uh, they needed a youth pastor, so I moved out here back in 1984, which is a fantastic move because I met my wife when I came out here, and uh, Rhonda is her name, and she's, she's watching grandkids right now, but uh, we married in 86, uh, headed off to seminary, because I, I was a little reluctant to go into ministry. I'd seen everything that my dad had to endure, put up with, and, and I thought, boy, I'm not sure I want to jump into that whole thing. Uh, but I, I, so I put it off, went into seminary at uh, Western Evangelical Seminary. It's now part of George Fox University, and got my Master's of Divinity at uh, George Fox. And um, then went into ministry. I had the privilege during that time, Rhonda's family had been attending JBC. And so um, she knew uh, Dee and introduced me. And as a young pastor, I'd heard the good things that were happening here at the church. Things were just starting to turn around back then. And uh, came and met with Dee a few times, got picked his brain about discipleship and stuff, and I used the principles that he taught me just in those couple of times. Uh, so it was such an effective part of my ministry, uh, even way back then, and uh, very thankful for Dee. So it's a delight to come back. We ended up, I was in ministry 27 years. Um, youth pastor ended up a few years later becoming a senior pastor. We ended up down in the Roseburg area and uh, planted a church off of a Roseburg church up in Sutherland, and we were there for nine years. I was the Douglas County chaplain at the time, and our church that we planted, specifically, we reached out to people that were coming out of addictive lifestyles and guys that were coming out of jail, uh, which was fantastic. It was exciting. It was a challenge. Um, saw some beautiful things happen, um, but... None of those guys had much money, so I was pastoring full-time, chaplain Douglas County Jail, and had three other part-time jobs, and I burned out. Um, wasn't being careful to get away. Had some other issues I was dealing with, and um, I, I finally just, I, I had to say, Lord, I, I'd see somebody needy coming, and inside my heart would just, oh, because I, I was just worn emotionally, and I, I had to withdraw and uh, so I retired from ministry at that point. That was 12 years ago. No, that was uh, 13 years ago now. And I've uh, been on a, a journey of healing and, um, 
and recovery. Uh, I've helped out at different churches along the way. We ended up coming back up to uh, Albany because uh, my wife's folks still live here. Some of you probably know Dale and Sharon Chilcote. That's my uh, in-laws. And uh, so we came to help them take care of their property and take care of them. And I became a mailman. So I deliver mail now. I'm a rural carrier. Um, yeah, it's been quite a, quite a trip. And in the process, God has brought healing to my heart. And, the, and the, the last big part of that has been coming here, coming back here. We had been at some other churches helping out, but we just really sensed God uh, calling us to something different. And we uh, well, let's go back and see what's happened at JBC. And so it's been a year and a half ago that we came back. And wow, it's been a, a delight because I, in the process of, of all the challenges of ministry, I forgot the basics that Dee had taught me way back when. It's, uh, it's a challenge uh, as pastors. There's lots of demands uh, put on by others, put on by ourselves. And, uh, uh, but uh, being in leadership class again has just um, really been a fantastic uh, last step to my really being excited to go back into ministry as the Lord wills in his time. So, uh, so that's a quick story of who I am and why I'm up here. D, I met with D some months back and said, D, I think I'm, I'm ready to go back into ministry. And he said, great, you want to preach for me this summer? And you know how D is. And, and so uh, I'll be preaching quite a bit here um, most of the Wednesday nights. So uh, hopefully, hopefully you enjoy tonight and we can learn a few things. I want to tell you one other thing about me. Um, I, I really, I hate rats. I really hate rats. I went to Bible college in Fort Wayne, as I said, and they had rats in the city. Not horrible, but they were there. And those beady eyes and the, that long hairless tail and the chance of rabies and stuff just... Rats really, really bug me. And one night after I graduated, I was sharing an apartment with a buddy. And, and one night in the middle of the night, I awoke. And there was a weight on my chest. And I knew what it was. And I threw the thing off my chest and jumped into my feet in my bed and, and it jumped back on my chest and I threw it down again and it jumped again and I threw it down and I'm screaming in my bed and my, my roommate comes running into the room to see what's going on. Steve, Steve. And it was then I realized my arm had fallen asleep. Yeah. Jesus, we, uh, we, want, we want so much to know you and to become like you. Jesus, I'm pretty sure most everyone in this room is here tonight because they're, they're not content to just um, bide their time and, and uh, coast to the finish line, but they want to finish well and hear you say, well done. So, Jesus, would you help me tonight to um, be clear and precise and to speak truth? Uh, guide my thoughts and words. 
And may you be glorified. We love you, Jesus, and are thankful for your incredible grace. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be speaking uh, out of Philippians. Uh, off and on for the next 14 weeks. We'll have a couple other guys that will jump in here and there, but... Uh, Philippians is a beautiful book. It was one of the um, prison epistles. Paul wrote it while he was imprisoned, and um, he planted that church while he was on his second missionary journey, and uh, it was the first church in Europe. Um, um, and he loved the Philippians. You could tell by the way he speaks of them, and uh, he, he's passionate about them and wanting to help them. There were basically five purposes for his letter. The first one was that he wanted to uh, thank them because they had sent gifts to him while he was imprisoned. And so he wanted to thank them in writing. He also wanted to explain why he was sending Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was a young pastor that they sent to help him out. And he wanted to explain why he sent him back. It wasn't that he failed, but that he just uh, he needed to come back and be with them. He wanted them to help them in Philippi. He also wanted to inform them of his circumstances in Rome. He wanted them to be clued in on what was happening to him. Uh, he also wanted to exhort them to unity. And we know throughout the New Testament, this is a theme that comes again and again, and we'll talk about that specifically in, in a few weeks. But he wanted to really exhort them to be one. And then finally, he also wanted to warn them against false teachers that uh, were very prevalent at the time. Let's read together uh, the first five verses out of uh, Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So he, he loved them. He was passionate to see them grow. He longed to come back and even be with them and see them. And I'm, I'm just going to stop with those five verses, and there may not seem to be a lot in there, but there's something very important that I think we need to, to understand and hang on to in our walk with Christ. If I were to ask you tonight, who are you? What would be your first thought? Who are you? Uh, you know, I just told you who I am, and I said I'm the son of Roger and Lorna Sherman. I went, did this school, and I now deliver mail and so on. We often connect who we are is what we do, how we make a living. Our identity is crucial The story is told that uh, one day the Queen of England was sitting in a chair. Uh, her daughter was sitting then next to her, slouching and sitting very awkwardly. They were out in public, and the Queen's daughter had become an embarrassment because she was not behaving 
like her identity said she ought to behave. The queen looked at the daughter and said, sit up. Don't you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are in Christ? That's what I want you to consider tonight. Number one, my perceived identity, who I think I am, will largely determine how I respond to life. My perceived identity will largely determine how I respond to life. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. And if you remember the story where Moses has got the Israelites and they're, they're, they've come out of Egypt, God has brought them uh, with the, the miracle of the ten plagues and, and the Egyptians chase them down and they come to the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea for them. They get across the Red Sea. Uh, all the Egyptians get drowned. It's an incredible thing. And they make their way and they come to Kadesh Barnea. It's the edge of the promised land. This is where they're headed. This is it. But do you remember what happens? They decide, well, let's, let's check it out first. What are we getting ourselves into? And they sent in the 12 spies. And if you remember, sure enough, the guys found that the place was incredible. Such lush vegetation and wonderful uh, vegetables and fruits. They brought the grapes back and so on. It was amazing, just like they dreamed of land flowing of milk and honey. However, there were the giants. Ten of the guys said, oh man, there's no way. And here's a verse out of Numbers that tells what they were thinking. Numbers 13.33, it says, There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers, in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Now think about this a minute. God had promised he was going to deliver them and to take them and give to them the promised land. He had done miracle after miracle. He had shown his faithfulness, his power, and his goodness to them. But they encounter this. Sure, it's a challenge. They're going to have to fight through some giants. But they saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own sight. Their perceived identity caused them to freeze up. And they decided, we, we can't do this. There's no way we can do this. And folks, what happens if you see yourself as a grasshopper, you get to wander in the desert. And sure enough, they did not get the blessing of the promised land. They did not believe the word of the Lord. They did not see themselves for who they were as the children of God, as the people of God. 
And because they saw themselves that way, that's what they got. It's a sad, sad story, isn't it? We oftentimes, I remember when I was young thinking, man, they were really not very bright. They really were not very bright. But then I catch myself not having faith at times. My perceived identity will largely determine how I respond to life. If you notice, Paul's identity was crystal clear. Excuse me. Paul's identity was crystal clear. He says back there in, uh, in verse, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. Paul's identity was crystal clear. He was a bond servant of Christ Jesus, and this impacted every decision that he made. Paul was willing to endure anything because he was absolutely sold out. He had decided, I'm with you, Jesus. I am yours, and whatever you want from me, I'm I'm there. I'm doing it. Let's go. And we know the story. He endured shipwrecks and snake bites and being beaten, being beaten again, thrown into prison. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And he's still just gung-ho. Philippians 1, 1 again, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. And then a, a couple chapters later, we find Philippians 3, verses 7 to 11, where Paul says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I might gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He was so single-minded, you could not pull him away from his mission to represent Christ come hell or high water because his identity was clear. He said, I am a bond servant of Christ a bond servant, number three, is a willing, devoted servant by choice. A bond servant was a servant who had served some master. He had become a slave and he had served under some master for some time. And after a number of years, they would, they would give the slave the option to go ahead and go free. There was a seven-year jubilee thing and they could, they could, uh, they could earn their freedom. And a bondservant was one who said, uh, Master, Master, I hear you, but I would rather stay employed by you. I would rather stay and serve you. I choose 
to be your servant. I don't care about the freedom that's out there. I don't care about anything else. You have been good to me. I love you, I think is a, what a bond servant would say. I love you, and I choose to be your man. And they would signify that by taking them, and they would lean up against a doorpost uh, with a with a awl and put a hole in their ear, and uh, and put a ring in it, and that would signify this is a bond servant. And they would willingly, by choice, bypass freedom to serve that one. And that's what Paul's saying here: Timothy and I are yours. Jesus, we are yours, absolutely yours. Adolos, that's a Greek, uh, Greek word for bondservant. He is one who is in a permanent relation of servitude to another, his will altogether consumed in the will of the other. His will consumed in the will of the other. Wow. I think about that. Think about that. Now, I'm a, I'm a mailman, and it's a good job, and it's a, I've, I've got the thing down. I've been doing it for 12 years and uh, got my own route, and I'm able to do my route. It's rated at eight and a half hours a day, and I can do the thing in six hours a day. And I can do that and get paid the same amount. As short as I can make my time out there, I can do that as long as I deliver it and deliver it well. And I'm free. So I'm, I'm being careful, okay? I'm being careful. But I want to go home. I've got my own will. And I don't live for the post office. Now, I want to be excellent because I'm a follower of Christ. So when I do go, I want to be excellent. And I want to love on my customers and serve them well. But boy, if I can go home, I'm going home. Be with my wife uh, be with my kids and grandkids. I have a will outside of that work. Paul, his identity compelled him because he loved Jesus. He was consumed by doing the will of Jesus. Now, I want to get to what why we're talking about this whole identity thing. What is, according to our present day culture, what is a saint? Think about that for a moment. What is a saint? We don't use that word very often in the church, and it's kind of weird, really. But I think part of it's because it's been co-opted and it's got some different meanings. Well, we know in the Catholic Church, a saint is one who is attained by living a certain way for a certain amount of time and accomplishing a number of things that they attain to sainthood. And I think that's what we often think of when we think of a saint. I want you to notice here, though, number four, Paul addresses all the Christians in Philippi as saints. Now, it was a young church. 
they hadn't lived a long life and performed a whole lot of services and accomplished a whole lot of stuff. And yet he called them saints, including the overseers and deacons, but not just the overseers and deacons. This was not a term that he was applying just to the pastors and the missionaries. This was all the people at Philippi who were followers of Jesus Christ. He called them saints. There's that verse again, verse 1. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. And the letter goes on to address everybody in, in the group. Everybody that met as the church in Philippi. He considered all of them to be saints. So, how does one become a saint? How do you get to be a saint? You become a Christ follower. Period. And if anyone who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, understands it, and as, as Pastor D would say, the ABCs of salvation, he admits that he needs a Savior. He believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who came, was crucified, and dead, and he lived a perfect life, sinless life, was dead, buried for three days, and rose again. Those who believe that and receive and see, commit, commit their lives to him, you're a saint. According to Paul, that's a saint. All the believers in Philippi were saints. All of you here tonight, and I'm assuming that uh, all of you are, saint, are, are Christians, and thus you are saints. Many of you already knew that. Any of you surprised by that tonight? Did you not, were you not aware of that, anybody? Oh, okay. You all knew this. What am I doing? Well, let's look at what a saint is just to make sure we're all clear on it, okay? The Greek word for saint, number five, is hagias, which means holy, set apart, sanctified, consecrated. And I want us to really focus on the phrase set apart. Just as Paul chose to set himself apart and apart to Christ and be a bondservant to him. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we are to be set apart. Now that means a couple things. The first thing is number six. A saint is one who is set apart from worldliness. So when you choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ, this ought to mean that you are choosing to reject the world. You are choosing to reject this world system and this world's pleasures and this world's way of looking at things, this world's way of doing these things. Uh, and, and by the world, we're saying the world under the control of Satan, not 
not the ball that we're standing on, the earth, but the world apart from God, worldliness. A saint is, is one who is set apart from worldliness. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. And if, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. Well, that's, pretty, that's a pretty stark statement right there, isn't it? If you love the world, you don't love Jesus. You don't love the Father. You don't have his love in you. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. We should not look like this world. And my heart breaks when I watch churches that are trying really hard to look just like the world and be really accepted by the world and approved by the world. That's dangerous. That's a dangerous thing to do. We should do everything we can to not look like the world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Then 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Then James 4, 4, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Ouch. We can't afford, if we want to walk as saints, if we want to walk as his kids and have his blessing, we cannot toy with the world. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 17 to 20, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body. We must be separate from the world if we are going to glorify God. And that brings us to the other part of being a saint. It's being set apart from worldliness, but it's also being set apart unto God. It doesn't mean we're just just make sure we don't smoke, chew, or hang out with girls who do. It means we ought to be set apart for him, to him, passionate about him, even as Paul, bond servant by choice. Romans 12, 1 again, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Uh, Ephesians 1. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 2, 4 to 10. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his, of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He created us to come to him, to be set apart for him, to do his things, to honor him and bring glory to him. And then 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, I love this. This really uh, nails what, what I'm talking about here. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen, brothers, sisters, this is incredible. This is the grand privilege in the history of all mankind, that the creator, almighty God, would choose you. And he didn't choose you just to give you salvation, and then you just hang out and do whatever you want for the rest of your lifetime and look forward to heaven. That doesn't even come close to what these things are talking about. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You are supposed to represent God to the rest of the world. That's a priest. A priest is a go-between between God and others. That's not just a pastor's responsibility. That is the people of God's responsibility. This, this passage in 1 Peter also was not just written to pastors. This is written to the people of God, saints. We are to be God's representative. We are to be set apart from the world unto him for this purpose, to make known the incredible thing that we have found in him. A people for God's own possession, so that, so that what? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Is your life doing that? Are you pro proclaiming the excellencies of your Savior? Really? That's the privilege we have. You get to do something that really, really makes a difference for eternity. LeBron James, he's got nothing. He's he's nothing compared to a true saint 
who's making a difference for eternity. The president is nothing in comparison to those who are making a difference for eternity. Then 1 Corinthians 6, 17 and 20. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. And we read that just a few minutes ago. For you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now I want to ask you this question. How was Paul able to keep such clear perspective on his identities? You know, he, it's, incredible. it's incredible what he did, how clear his identity was and what he was willing to tolerate because of that. Why? How was he so absolutely oblivious to the rest of the world, uh, the options for him in the world, so set apart just to honor God, to speak of Christ? He, he was able to do that because he had a miraculous encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember on the road to Emmaus, Jesus came and revealed himself. Incredible. I mean, it just knocked him on the ground. He was blind. He, he was never the same. He was absolutely never the same. Chose to be a bond servant, and we know the, the rest of the story. But the, the question I want to ask for you and I is, how do we keep clear our identity. How do we do it? And I want to suggest the answer to that question is we make sure that we are having daily miraculous encounters with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that look like? It just means you follow the basic disciplines of the Christian life that Dee is talking about all the time. Jesus is waiting every day. Please hear me. The King of glory, the majestic creator, every morning when you awake, he's waiting. He's waiting and hoping that you will set aside time and come and sit with him and open up his word and let him speak to you. He is hoping that you will hunger for him and that you will choose to put aside all the other things that chase us and call for our time and attention, our jobs and our hobbies and... and uh, our finances, and so on. Every day, he's waiting. He's hoping that you will choose to stop. You know, and the, the great challenge for us is we forget just how incredibly special that is. Satan works extra hard to think, well, yeah, it's just another morning and things are really really dry, maybe I'm not finding anything that seems real miraculous in what I'm reading in the scripture that morning. Oh, friend, keep digging.
Deuteronomy 4.29 says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. You will find him. Can I tell you, in the midst of doing ministry, in the midst of trying to love people and serve people, I lost sight. I tried to continue to have my Bible times and stuff, and, but I lost sight. Don't allow yourself to lose sight. Make it the priority of your life to see him, to be with him, to love him, to worship him. Luke 11, 9 and 10 says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. How hungry are you for Jesus? How hungry are you for Jesus? That's the cool thing in the process of my getting burned out and worn out, lost sight. And but I was so missing the glory and the beauty of his presence. And now that that is the priority of my life, I am, I am loving life again. I know. Colossians 3, 1 to 4, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. There is nothing, there is nothing that compares to the privilege of being a saint. Nothing even comes remotely close. Number eight, a saint has extraordinary potential. A true saint, one who's really set apart from the world and set apart unto God. Let's read those verses again in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but you, now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. We all have the potential to do this, to proclaim his excellencies. You may not be a public speaker. You may not be a, someone who gets up in front of a lot of people, but you can love somebody right where you work. You can love somebody right where you live and proclaim the excellencies that you have discovered as you Encounter the living God as you spend time with him. You are valuable. And Christ has incredible work for you to do. If you'll make him the priority. But last, a saint needs to make extraordinary choices. If we're going to really make a difference, if we're really going to be extraordinary and make a difference in our world, We've got to make the choices. Get up early and spend time in the word, in worship, thanksgiving, 
and prayer. And I tell you, if you passionately seek after him, and most of you already know this, he will meet you there. And he will change you there. And he will fill you there. And he will flow out of you when you go out from there. But if you're not doing this, it's going to be really hard to, be, to make a difference. It's going to be really hard, difficult to be part of his incredible mission. So you've got to make the little choices, don't you? I've got to make the little choices. That's where it happens. Resist the temptation to stay in bed. Just get right up. Go right to him. Take that time. Open the word. Worship him. Be careful that it doesn't just become routine without engaging your heart. Remember to take time to thank him. Thank him for just what you have. Meditate on just what you have in Christ Jesus. And that helps with the transformation of that time, and the, how precious it will become. And then I'll quick just read through these last things. Meditate on the truth. Meditate on the truth. I am loving being back in, memorizing the word, meditating on the word throughout my day. It's a cool thing. As a, as a mailman, I get to drive around and listen to sermons and listen to worship music and work on uh, the, the verses I'm memorizing and just, just love on my Savior, worshiping him as I deliver mail. Uh, resist temptation. These, this little choice. Say no. Just say no. Rejoice. No matter what, rejoice. I come from a long line of whiners, unfortunately. Whining comes really natural to me. It's a sad thing. I'm so disgusted when I look back and realize how much of a whiner I have been. We are so rich in him, and we have eternity all coming, amen? To be a whiner, to be complaining about little things in life, that sure isn't going to reflect well. Build up people wherever you go. Build up. Look for the opportunity wherever you go, work, home, the grocery store, no matter what other people are doing, try and make a difference. Love on them. Build them up. Try and make them smile. <laughs> we go to King Cone lots of, lots of times to get uh, the little ice cream cones there in Albany. And uh, it's, it's our mission every time we go, my wife's mission. She wants to, it's a little Asian couple that run the thing. And the little Asian woman seems like she's so unhappy to be delivering ice cream to people. She just seems like it's, it's misery. And so my wife has made it her mission every time we go in there to try and make the lady smile. And uh, she, she oftentimes does it. But try and make a difference. Speak out testimony to his great love and goodness. Quit being silent, people. I tell you, we're going to need to be ready because we're going to start being paying for being Christians. It, it really seems to be coming. There's a corner being turned by our culture. They're starting to hate the people of God and his church. But that doesn't mean we should shrink back. That means we just need to be with him all the more and be ready. But we should stand firm and speak out because eternity's right around the corner and we still got a mission. Consider others, and we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, consider others more important than yourself. And then finally, be gracious. Give others what they don't deserve. Listen, 
our identity is really incredible. It's really incredible who we get to be as followers of Jesus Christ. But if we forget about it, if we get busy and set aside and don't realize, we miss out so much. Do you know that uh, elephants, if you see them at a circus, it's been a long time, circuses aren't a big thing anymore, but you go to, I went as a kid and we'd see these elephants and it was incredible, this huge, massive beast. And they'd have just a little chain around its ankle and some little post that was just tapped into the ground a little ways. And if that elephant only knew who he was, he could easily just pull that thing and take off. But they train an an elephant when they're babies, they get them as babies, and they train them to never pull against that chain or there will be unpleasant consequences to it. And they steal the identity of that elephant. And the elephant thinks that it can never, ever pull away and spends the rest of its life in that existence just not even trying to pull away from that chain. Listen, in Christ, you're a saint. You are set apart. He redeemed you specifically to be awesome, to be filled with his spirit, and to make a difference in your world. Don't let the enemy steal your sense of identity. Jesus, we worship you. We praise your holy name. We give you glory and honor. (laughs) We don't deserve any of what you're giving us. And heaven is going to be awesome. But even now we have so much in you. We are rich, rich beyond our wildest dreams. Oh, Jesus, help us to keep perspective. Help us to keep our identity very clear. Fill us and transform us so that we walk like saints, not just called saints, so that we can bring glory to your name that is so worthy. We pray this in your all-powerful name, knowing that you will meet us and give us what we need to see this happen. Jesus' name, amen.